Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. No. Where are you from? I'm, I'm not. This isn't. I'm, I'm. I'm not part of this. I shouldn't have to. I don't want to tell you that. No. Sorry. No. <laughs> This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 252, for the week of May 20th, 2019. I am Fox, who has become the hunter, David T. Cole, and I'm here with falsely accused hairdresser, Sarah D. Bunting. It's French. Hot priest, Tara Ariano. Neil. And somber bassoonist, Jeff Drake. Where's Claire? Welcome to Extra Hot Great. Joining us is our dear old friend, Jeff Drake. Hello, Jeff. Hello. Hi. (laughs) We are here to talk about the second season of Fleabag, which has just dropped on Amazon. And fair warning for everyone listening, we have all watched the whole season. We are going to talk about the whole season. If you haven't watched the whole season by now, maybe you don't love Phoebe Waller-Bridge as much as you should, I feel. Right. I'm just kidding. I understand people have other things to do, I guess. But anyway, um, Fleabag season two, uh, people may have feared it could not be as good as season one. Surprise. I felt it was even better. Uh, Really had a more, I guess it's not fair to say a more ambitious story, but certainly a very different one. Jeff, what are your high level impressions of season two of Fleabag? Uh, I mean, I 100% agree with that. I I would say that it is more ambitious. It goes into the season, like, really establishing brand new rules. And then, like, it was shockingly good. I mean, it's just really, <laughs> like, I loved season one so much. And I I had, I didn't know what to expect from season two. And it was just, like, it was so easy. It was hard not to watch the entire thing in, like, one sitting. It's so good. Yeah, we did watch it all in one sitting and then watch it again for the podcast. <laughs> Sarah D. Bunting, this season we have a new character, a hot priest that Fleabag gets a crush on, and then some more. Uh, how did you think he was? How did he mesh with the cast? What were your feelings about him? Um, I thought that Andrew Scott, what, Father Moriarty, um, was <laughs> actually perfect casting for this um, because he, like, he is very charming, but not too Mm-hmm. He is sort of like he seems lost, but isn't, uh, which sort of makes a good um, inverse for Fleabag, who seems like maybe she's not lost, but she still is. Um, it, and it was really, a tr- I think it was a tricky thing to bring in, you know, a, a religious figure and have that be like extremely literal in in some ways and having him sort of deal with her and her family. And her um, like grief and uh, wandering that she's she's not dealing with that she's still I think suppressing. Um, but it the show pulls it off like it it really because it's so good at pulling off these you know connecting on these big swings that it does. You, you don't necessarily realize like what risks it's taking or how mm-hmm. how badly it could go. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, he and like for a character that ambitious and tricky, I think that he was uh, a perfect choice. I thought he was great. And I thought that storyline was like, wow, are they really going to go there? But then as usual, because it works, 
you're not you're not like put off by the ambitiousness of it and it doesn't seem like it's for its own sake it seems organic Do, i mean i assume you guys were on board with this and more aspect of of the priest and oh yeah i loved it i mean i i loved how it started in a sort of like a very sitcom-y cliche like ooh, i have a crush on a hot priest it's so transgressive and then it deepens into uh, very quickly you can tell i mean not that anyone thought it was going to go to you know a <laughs> multi-cams place with it but um <laughs> you know right away in the second episode we see fleabag going to church and she just wants to be around him and she's trying to figure out like exactly what it is she thinks she's doing with this guy and then the more she gets to know him and the more she sees how dorky he is <laughs> like and then uh, what i thought was interesting about this the way they handled it two things one um that they have her do the usual TV or pop culture thing of like a, a secular person asking a priest or a cler- any kind of clergy person, like, don't you ever have doubts as though the rest of us in our var- various like jobs or life experiences like are going around all the time without doubts, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> people have this sort of like built in expectation, like, well, if you've chosen this life, you know, it must be it must be something you have to keep choosing as if that's not true of everybody all the time. But the other thing that I that I especially loved was that as the more time they spend with with each other, as she keeps kind of glancing at the camera or at us, you know, and doing her kind of Shakespearean asides, he at a certain point is in that bubble with her and she is freaked out by it. But at the same time, it's like that's in a way how it feels when you click with a person romantically or otherwise that you do feel like you're sort of in that bubble you know, with them, Dave, we just celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary. Don't Yay. you agree? <laughs> yeah, that bubble's great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talking about that, talking about that, like him noticing her asides, I didn't really look at it, although I agree with what you just said about at, like that shows him inside her bubble. Yeah. As like, this is like a huge swing. Like it's also tied into like when she's at the therapist and she says, I have friends. Yeah. She looks at the camera as if to say, you guys are my friends, Mm -hmm. you know, which is a kind of a cool thing, but also super sad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, like, cause what, what is our relationship? Like on the meta level of this show, like what is, what is going on? Like this acknowledgement of us watching her Mm -hmm. is like in all of the shows that use any kind of asides to the camera, like this is like a really kind of weird, like additional, like turn it up to 11 kind of moment of like, what does it mean when a character is doing this? Mm-hmm. And then that he can see it takes on like this spiritual level affirms or confirms his like level of faith. And that like, he can see through that, like he sees through that device or something like it's, some sort of weird divine sort of level like it achieves. And it just like he's seeing through some sort of veil, whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, although, although the very, the very final shot is sort of like her acknowledging, like I no longer need this Mm -hmm. or I no longer want it. Maybe she doesn't need it. I mean, one or the other. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's a better point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, there were two unseen characters this season, too. Us, <laughs> she keeps talking to, yeah. and God, who also keeps uh, making himself known in various ways, which I thought was also a, a an interesting runner for for um, 
her father. He never gets a name like all of the characters other than Claire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> both Claire's. <laughs> both of the Claire's. Right. Both Claire's. That he keeps interacting with or, you know, acknowledging that that God is God is also watching the same as we are, except not the same. I, I like yeah. that, too. The whole like the whole season is like such such a gigantic swing by by like really taking seriously faith. Mm-hmm. You know, but but in a way that's not like preachy or whatever, a way that's very realistic, like does he have doubts, you know, and and all of that. And it's like he's this very realistic and he's very pragmatic. He's like, yeah, like, yeah, I curse and all of this. And, you know, it's the type of like serious treatment of religion that actually right now what it occurs to me is like sort of the same sort of approach that like uh, of respect towards religion that weirdly Book of Mormon has, if you've ever mm-hmm. seen Book of Mormon, where it's like, oh, this seems like they're like they're just gonna fucking take the piss out of out of Mormonism, but it's like it's like no, this is like this is a show about like why we have faith and how faith works and how faith is actually kind of great. Well, it's not about the tenets of faith; it's just about what it does for you as a human. Exactly. Yeah, which is the which is the more important aspect. All of that said, all of this heady stuff out, it is such a funny season it is. Mm-hmm. where like i feel like season one was like super funny and then then like got very like in a good way like serious and dark yeah. by the end like you know kind of ended on this like oh my god that was tragic kind of ending this sort of lives in that that tragedy is just kind of like a heartbeat behind everything and 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 you know it's like this you know like she actually has changed you know, but then like there's just so much that's just so fucking hilarious. The, but the highlight for that for me, for some reason, on second watching was in season uh, episode two, where they meet the lawyer who Claire has introduced <laughs> them to in order to defend her against Claire's husband's upcoming lawsuit or whatever is going to happen right. there. And he is having a meeting in their office, legs up on the table. <laughs> Eating this sandwich or burger and like there's special sauce all over his mouth. And he's just like <laughs> such a devil may care sort of attitude towards everything. The the law relationships, just everything that's happening in his life. It is just like such a weird floaty moment that yeah. uh, tickled me. I was I was glad Sarah brought up the falsely accused hairdresser because that scene made me <laughs> die. Sarah, do you want to talk some more about that? Oh, my so God. Well so Claire calls um fleabag in a complete panic like having a meltdown and uh, fleabag is like on it but she's also sort of secretly thrilled that totally controlled claire is having a meltdown and needs her and she's gotten this um asymmetrical bob that (laughs) i mean she can get away with it but she's like she's having a complete meltdown she looks like a romulan from star trek yeah. She does. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very good point. <laughs> what is the hairdresser's name? Anthony? Anthony. 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 That these, that, and apparently this is like, this is one of the things that the show does so well. They're like, Anthony again? Really? All right, that's it. Like, we're we're going to confront him. And there's like sort of years of history that you can just imagine mm-hmm. in that reference, which is like never followed up. And that's, I don't know, that's great writing in my opinion. That you can just fill in from what you already know. Yeah. Th- they're travails with Antony. She she reads him for, you know, hair. He says it's only hair. It's not that important. She Fleabag says, 
it is important. We wish it wasn't so we could think about something else for once in a while, but it really is. This isn't what she asked for. And Antony sends his assistant to get the reference paper. She silently digs it out of the trash and it is precisely what yes. Claire has on her head. Like, I feel like they were like, I'll show you that it was wrong. And then it's like, oh, yeah, no, it was Claire who's like, get yeah. the reference paper. Get the reference. Get the reference. And it's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, sorry. We're very sorry. Very and then sorry. the last line of the scene is Fleabag saying to Antony, I'll see you next week. Like that to me is like such the perfect button for exactly the reason that Sarah said. It's like there is all this history. It does not need to be spelled up. But the bottom line is they still both go to Antony, like even though they know they shouldn't. He's still the best. Well, and he has a great line like her rant about like, you know, hair actually is important and, you know, it sh- it shouldn't be, but it is is followed up by him being like, look, if you want to change your life, change your life. But it's not like, that's not what I'm here for. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's pretty amazing that, you know, they can make these sort of big pronouncements um, that are fairly abstract and it still, it still works. Like mm-hmm. um, Claire's now ex-husband, I guess, uh, spoiler, like his big sort of pitch to her at the wedding and like, you know, but you, you might not like me, but you love me. Like all of these things that seem like they're, they would be things that like you write down on post-it notes and it's like, I got to work that into a project sometime. Mm -hmm. And they, they get worked in and feel completely natural. Like that, I mean, that actor is amazing and not vain at all. But then (laughs) another thing I like about, it and the show in general is that it's content to let um darkness and hilarity like occupy the same space and not say anything about the proportions or yeah what's appropriate about that like he has a you know he's he knows that he's losing claire his heart is breaking and then he has this hilarious bit about why the bassoon? Why? That <laughs> was just like, I had to pause it because it's like, I think that this is an important speech, but also just the delivery of why the bassoon was because really why the bassoon. But yeah, yeah I, that's one of the things that I to like. Cry for show. help. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, on that, on that same, on that same topic, like uh, the, the speech that the the lesbian businesswoman gives about mm. women carrying pain is like a tremendously great, insightful, like awesome speech, but that it's also like that that can live inside this and not seem like like Aaron Sorkiny or whatever. Mm. You know, like yeah. where it's like, I'm about to make a very important pronouncement. Or what you know, it's just like she's so good at what she does like it's one of the few things like and i watch it with my wife and she's like i don't i don't really get professional jealousy uh, but like but like <laughs> seriously like mm-hmm. how how is how does she do that like what like she's so so good i wish i could like you know she wrote 12 like perfect episodes yeah and then she stopped bless her yeah. Her. Well, she she basically stopped after six and wasn't going to do anymore, you know, and then it took a while for her to like, you know, it just it's crazy. It's crazy. There's that like there's not like a down moment like the the first episode of this season 
Um, somebody needs to submit that for the canon because that uh-huh. is one of the best episodes of television. It plays like a one act play. Yep. It's there's so many balls in the air and there are so many surprises and somebody needs to give an award to the actress who plays the um the waitress because <laughs> it's a work of art. <laughs> yeah. It's spectacular, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wonder too if the if the if the decision to do it was that this is also Fleabag's Jesus year and like this is her, this is Phoebe Waller-Bridge's take on like what that means for this character and for this world. But I, before we move on to whatever we're going to talk about next, since you said Sarah has no vanity, do you want to talk a little bit about Olivia Coleman this season as Godmother? Oh, th- this woman's craft. Oh my God. Like she is, she is terrible. Like she turned, mm-hmm. she turned up the terribleness because mm-hmm. I had, I had said before that um, it, the way that she's written and performed is pitched very carefully so that she is exactly that kind of territorial um obnoxious step person uh-huh but it's, it, it never goes too far so that it's like not realistic and you're like well look even a british person would have kicked her in the tits by now <laughs> she she does notch it up a little bit but there was one particular moment that i was like that i mean everyone else needs to just cease acting yeah. Because the most perfect acting has now occurred. <laughs> I believe it's a flashback to yep. the exactly funeral. And yeah. Uh, oh, I'll leave you two alone. And then she has that fatuous <laughs> smile and she's standing there waiting <laughs> Just, for exactly yep. the right amount of time for one of them to be like, oh, no, that's OK. Stay, which they do not do. <laughs> and she's just standing there. Forever. And then finally, she's like, ah, and <laughs> leaves. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this this character is just perfectly realized on all fronts. Oh, awful. And but then he, you know, sort of goes ahead with it. And I like that the dad's sort of, you know, discussion with Fleabag about it and his getting his foot stuck in a hole. Like there's not that <laughs> cinematic sort of progress or closure or realization like that's not life. Yeah, old yeah. dudes just you know stand where they're told to a certain extent, and everyone involved realizes that. And I, I thought it was I thought it was really good, but I mean Coleman, international treasure, and that yeah, moment yeah. was amazing. She manages to deliver the line. This is my very uh, interesting friend Daniel, who's deaf, yeah, with like an absolutely deadpan straight face, fishing for credits among the, uh, uh-huh. the crowd. Yeah. The, and then uh, she makes the fluttering motion with yeah. her hands that is She's- supposed to approximate. <laughs> Sign yes. language and cannot. she just loves. She doesn't know what any of it means. Yeah, she just loves. She's like, isn't that entertaining that deaf people do this with their hands? Basically, <laughs> it's the craziest. And then, like later, she's she's introducing her soon to be husband, and you find out she really doesn't know his first name. <laughs> she I just, just always the, call you darling. <laughs> oh, oh my god! It's okay. so hilarious. Yeah. 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 I feel like her whole character was building to like if if for no other reason they can't do another season because she will never top like just being in her element at her wedding, introducing all her frightfully interesting friends to each other (laughs) that she's collected, obviously, very self-consciously over the years for precisely a moment such as this. Like it's just, as Sarah said, so, so well observed, brilliant, amazing. Yeah. 
I will also add just very quickly, so much of TV does not understand, like, are, is everyone in writer's rooms only children? And has, have you never been around adult siblings? Oh my and God. this show is not that. Like, this yeah. is absolutely a documentary of how grown-up siblings deal with each other, and totally. it's great. Yep. Yeah. It's a perfect show. I mean, I, that feels like hyperbole, and yet it definitely is a, it's a perfect show. <laughs> Everyone exactly. should watch it. Yep. It is time to go around the dial. First stop, Tara Ariano. Okay, this is my fault because I said tweet me about my dad wrote a porno and thousands of you did. Not thousands, <laughs> but a lot. I really have gotten more tweets about my dad wrote a porno than almost anything else. First of all, stop. I get it. Second, uh, Emily was wrong. The dad is not dead. He is alive and is on Twitter. <laughs> I uh, And they apparently in order to keep the podcast going may have like commissioned him to write more pornos past the original one that was according to the official story, like found in his shed. I still doubt he really wrote them. (laughs) I think, I feel like this is a shit. My dad says situation where like, maybe there's a germ of truth to it, but it was like hugely embellished for the purpose of making money. Anyway, point being, I'm never going to listen to this podcast. Please don't tweet me about it anymore. I'm very happy that you all have found it, and evidently it has brought you so much joy. Absolutely don't tweet her at, at Tara Ariano. Dave. No, what? do not do that. Not <laughs> I am here to talk about Vita, which is a half-hour dramedy on Stars, returning this week for its second season. And much as they did with Now Apocalypse, Stars is going to put up the whole season on their app at once and then also air episodes weekly. In this case, they're going to air two at a time every Sunday night. So Vita is a show that premiered last year. It's about um, two sisters, Emma and and Lynn, who come back home because their mother has passed away. She owns um, a bar and then the, the building, so the apartment's above as well. She's passed away. They come back for her funeral and find out a lot of things in a very short period of time, including that Their mother was married to a woman, which they didn't know she was any kind of gay at all, (laughs) never mind in a committed relationship with this person and left her a third of their of the estate. So the three of them have to share it. Uh, The business was hugely in trouble. They are it's set in East L.A. in a slowly gentrifying, formerly Latino neighborhood. So there's a lot of stuff around that. They she took out a lot of mortgages. So they're also in debt. Um And the person that she took the mortgages out from is basically just waiting for them to fail so that he can buy the building and convert it into fancy condos and do the typical gentrifying stuff. Um, It's uh, it's another really good – I'm glad you said that last about siblings, Sarah, because this is also an excellent sibling show. The older sister, Emma, is – has moved further away. She was in Chicago. She seemed to do something in finance or business or something um, and was, you know – doing very well, living in a very fancy life. Her sister is a little bit more of a free spirit. She just moved to San Francisco and has been kind of like sleeping with a succession of guys who have been taking care of her in various ways. Um, And now they are by the end of the first season, decide to stay and make a, try to make a go of the business. And so that's where we pick up with them in season two, except now there's more revelations about Eddie, the mother's wife and the real state of the business. And, and um, their various romantic relationships with the people that they, you know, in some cases grew up with and new people and, you know, as as these things go. Uh, there's a lot of political stuff that's going on about gentrifying, but also just about, you know, who 
who is hente and who isn't and what it means to be like you know more assimilated into white culture emma keeps being mistaken for white and it's annoying every time um but the guy played richie in looking is in season two he's playing a handyman i love that guy um it's a really great show and if you have stars you have the stars app so put it on your apple tv you can watch all 10 episodes uh all at all back to back to back and sarah i'm going to mention especially for you some really great dangling earring action at least in the first three episodes which is all i've watched so far so if you wanted to watch it just to shop it (laughs) i think you will not be disappointed it's a really good show it was like super under the radar but uh deserves more attention so i hope it gets them you know me for sure (laughs) For my plug, uh, I wrote a who's who among the hot young dudes of the Catch-22 miniseries adaptation on Hulu, which has, by the time you read this, has dropped uh, last Friday. Um, So we'll link it in the show notes, but you can find that at primetimer.com. You're welcome. They're hot. (laughs) Jeff Drake. As a person who has children, I want to address a couple of things, and this uh, also will come into play later in this podcast. First of all, um, it's sad. I have a sad note to report, which is I have an, I have an eight year old son. He will soon be nine, which means that as of the up CBS upfronts, he has still never lived in a world that did not include blue bloods. (laughs) And it's an upsetting truth that I have to live mm. with, and I just want to share that with the world. That's why also, you named him Blue Bloods. I, I shouldn't have named <laughs> a him tribute. Blue Bloods. Shouldn't have named him Tom Selleck Jr. Um, <laughs> I mean, you should Shouldn't have. have named him Marky Mark's brother. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I'll punch up these jokes later, and then I'll send them in. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> my son watches, like, for a while, it was nothing but Pokemon. And if you've never watched the Pokemon TV show, um, there's, like uh, – 30 episodes, uh, 30 seasons of it. And every season has 90 episodes. There are <laughs> an infinite number of Pokemon episodes and the same thing happens. every. But then he got off of it and was trying to watch something else that was sort of like adventure and exciting. And he landed on She-Ra, the new She-Ra, which I remember all of the stink about. I never watched the original um, when I was a kid. Cause I, I was a little older than, than the target demo. And I remember all the fucking fanboys being up in the having their fucking panties in a bunch because it's like basically like how can I masturbate to this new Shira? Right. This Shira is not fuckable enough. This Shira, like, how dare you make a make a female cartoon character that I cannot imagine like going down on me? And it is like, which is. Like, it's so bananas that, like, first of all, I was like, who ever cared about She-Ra and why are you mad? But also then, like, okay, setting that aside, the show is really pretty great. And, like, and especially from, like, uh, like the female characters are all really terrific. And, like, instead of, like, in Pokemon where all the all the women are, like, sticks with giant boobs, um, <laughs> that they're just, like, they're just, like, regular-looking women. Like, young women. And so it's, like, I feel like I'm, like, thrilled in a way that, like, my son is, like, watching this show that is basically, like, there's, it's the majority of the characters are female characters. And it's a very, it's a very interesting show and entertaining and really kind of clever and snarky. And if you've got kids, it's a great thing for kids to watch. He's, he's eight, going to turn nine, and it's kind of right in that pocket. You could probably be a little bit younger and still enjoy it. Um, 
but like it's it's a really terrific show to watch and keep them away from Pokemon, even though there's a <laughs> a deluge of them out there. Uh and then as far as plugging, um, I will just say that um not soon, but in 2020, you'll be able to see a really terrific show that I've been writing on. And um, if you happen to think of the famous park in New York and like Google that and then like people like Kristen Bell and Josh Gad's name drop into that Google search. Also, Ooh. you'll you will find information about this show, which also um, has Stanley Tucci and David Diggs and um, dang. And uh, who am I leaving out? Titus Burgess and Leslie Odom Jr. Dang. And it's and maybe it's a musical. Also, I don't oh. know, guys. Oh my God, guys, it's really, <laughs> it's really like you can't really. Who knows? Just I mean, if you Google it, you might find out information about it. But okay. technically, it's kind of I'm kind of not supposed to talk about it. But um, it's it's uh, going to be going to be great. It's from the uh, producer of Bob's Burgers, Lauren Bouchard, is one of the co-creators of it, along with Nora Smith, and also Josh Gad. And um, it's terrific, and it'll be on one of the Apple streaming shows in 2020. That's so, very exciting. Hey. Very well, well, we're exciting. waiting for that to, to drop. I believe there's something else you've been writing on that we can watch in the meantime. Well, you could watch. Um, I, I wrote on I'm Sorry Season 2. That you could watch um, I believe it's probably streaming somewhere. It's True TV, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a very, it was a very fun season and fun stuff with Andrea Bridge and Tom Everett Scott. Tom Everett Scott, one of honestly one of the nicest human beings you could Aww, ever meet. In you your love life. to hear so, it. He did I'm, such a he, great job playing a dick smack governor on SVU back in yep. the day. Oh, really? <laughs> That's great. He's he really like it. Like honestly, couldn't be couldn't be more delightful. Like he's a real just like, like married is like high school, bunch of. He's just like Aww. it's like the it's kind of like a being being an actor is like inconvenient. <laughs> to like uh, it kind of gets in the way of me being a dad or whatever. He's just he's he's terrific. Anyway, the show is show is very funny and uh, it was it was fun to work on and uh, check it out. Woo. Sarah did nothing. This is a side note, but Tom Everett Scott, I used to work for a photo blog many, many years ago, and um, Tom Everett Scott was the uh, v- victim slash subject of my all-time favorite headline. Some paparazzo shot him. He was just, like, out shopping for shoes. They shot him from, like, knee level. He was wearing extremely tight pants and these, like, Unabomber glasses so i wrote i'd like to report a suspicious package thank you thank you very much <laughs> Nice. <laughs> if you need to add me that's at tara ariano oh yes you. yeah um i'm actually here to talk about a documentary that's airing on showtime on may 31st uh it is called quiet storm the ron artest story ron artest who changed his name to meta world peace in 2011 was a very good, possibly great NBA player who unfortunately was almost as well-known during his career for having anger management issues uh, and for one notorious scuffle now known as the Malice at the Palace that got him suspended for an entire season when he went into the stands after a fan, which was justified because the guy threw a soda at him, but then he went after the wrong fan. Ooh. It became a whole thing. Oh, right. 
quiet storm is not an unpleasant hour and 45 minutes, but it's like both too long and too short. Um, it's impressive that they, they got this actual fan who started this whole kerfuffle, um, to sit for talking head interviews. Um, and as it turns out, he and, uh, Artest slash world peace are friends now. Um, (laughs) they get Jermaine O'Neal, who's the captain of the Pacers, uh, when Artest was on that team. Um, talking about like i mean this was sort of like the depth of artists struggles let's say um and o'neill is talking at length about why he had issues with the behavior and that he's still like offended and hurt by certain ways artist chose to be um but the film i mean it's directed by a guy named johnny sweet okay who has directed exactly one other thing uh which is on Michael Vick, and they were both produced by Bleacher Report. The movie is marketed with a connection to Mental Health Awareness Month, and that is great. And uh, World Peace's openness about his battles with neurochemical challenges is great too, but the documentary is pretty cagey about what exactly Artes suffers from. Uh, it's not like necessary for him to go into d- super detail, but it's also like if part of your if part of your marketing is that we need to be more open and destigmatize uh mental illness then maybe be a little more specific like yeah. at all right um they put chirons like that are quotes from the psychologist that he's been going to for years and he like thanked her on camera after he won an NBA title but she's not in the film except for that uh the movie is content to blame part of our tests problems on mental illness inherited from among others, his father, but then it doesn't really examine too closely that his father was physically abusive in the service of furthering our tests, basketball talents. It thinks that showing a press conference at which he wept while apologizing is all it needs to say about the domestic violence incident for which he was sorry, which it's not that I don't believe he regretted it, but that felt inappropriately timid to me Mm. either we're exploring these issues of mental illness and its stigmatization in the pro sports community or the lack of access to appropriate care for all but the wealthy and the ripple effect that this has or we're not and what we're not so much doing in quiet storm either is talking about the way in which our tests behavior tended to be received and discussed at the time by which i mean white sports writers yeah as well as that fucking gas bag, Bill Walton, who, until he can get through an entire shot clock without plugging some goddamn thing on the play-by-play, let's not ask him anything else about anything and do not at me. <sighs> anyway, white sports writers murmuring then and now that it's, quote, unforgivable to go into the stands after a fan. Uh, I just feel like the way pro athletes of color who are obviously unwell or struggling with depression or anxiety or whatever it is, I feel like the coverage of that is very different. Um, I would just break in here for a second to say, you can also see shut up and dribble the four part documentary series on Showtime, which goes into a lot more detail on this. I mean, obviously they have more space to, but it's better on this than it sounds like quiet storm is. Yeah. I just felt like this needed to be either like a 30 for 30. That was 48 minutes long only Mm -hmm. on this like specific brawl and various things leading to and away from it. Or it needed to be a longer series about Artest. And the fact is, 
like if, you know, when Terrell Owens was taken to the hospital for overdosing on hydrocodone, people were mad at him for showboating. Like this for pro athletes of color is like a a serious issue on its own. And also the way that it's discussed, like sans empathy. Um, Like no one would talk about Gronk like that. Let's face it. Anyway. Uh, Artest slash world peace is a fascinating guy, but quiet storm isn't great. Um, you might be better off just finding the footage of Artest's press conference after the Lakers won in 2010, because it's really charming. Like he's super excited in this childlike way. That is amazing. Um, but that is called quiet storm showtime, May 31st mixed, mixed review from me. Um, <laughs> What did not get a mixed review, here comes my plug, is uh, our Mastass episode on Katie Lang's version of Hallelujah, which we asked on our Instagram if that was the definitive version, and Katie Lang stepped into the comments to be like, there is no definitive version, that's the point. We were Ah. like, oh, hey, and tried not to faint. (laughs) So anyway, Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Last week, it was Katie Lang. This coming week, we're talking about Fergie. God help us. So, yeah. uh, yes, you can download that wherever you find find podcasts. And our Instagram will be linked in the show notes. Woo-hoo. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet. And I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad. So let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W dot com and use promo code E-H-G for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now. All right, everybody, it is time for the canon. Just before I start it, I just want to say there's only one clip in this canon, just the way that the author formed it. Didn't really need too many clips, but I wanted to add the one that's in there because I found it quite funny. So with that, here we go. This week's canon presentation. Hello, extra hot, great crew. My name is Leanna. I turn 30 next year. I have no children and I enjoy watching children's television programming. I swear (laughs) I am not a deadbeat stoner. I don't drop acid and watch Fraggle Rock or anything like that. I find (laughs) well-written kids shows with realistic characters 
and valuable life lessons very hopeful. There is comfort in the idea of the next generation learning to be kind and smart and adventurous. I have chosen for my canon submission, episode two of the Netflix show, Hilda. Hilda is based on the award-winning British children's graphic novel series, Hilda Folk, written and illustrated by Luke Pearson. The main character of the series is Hilda, a smart, independent adventurer with a very good outfit. She lives <laughs> in the country with her awesome graphic designer mom in their awesome Nordic-style house. It's very Ikea, it's very Higa, it's very hip, darling, it's very now. At the beginning of episode two, titled Chapter Two, The Midnight Giant, Hilda is embroiled in a permit battle with a nearby elf civilization. The elves love bureaucracy and paperwork, and they hate Hilda and her mom. And you can't see the elves until you sign the proper forms. <laughs> Side note, the ridiculous mayor of this elf settlement has a tiny, tiny pet cat whose name is Angelina. In episode <laughs> one, Angelina is, quote, heavily pregnant and gives birth to tiny, tiny kittens in Hilda's hair, which explains the knittens at the beginning of episode two. I originally wanted to submit both episode one and two for the canon, but I thought submitting a kid's show was already pressing my luck. But <laughs> Sarah D. Bunting and other cat ladies like myself, please watch minutes 15 and, 30, and 13 seconds to uh, minutes 17 and 55 seconds in episode one for the pregnant Angelina clip. It's very cute and funny. Back to episode two, though. Hilda is also trying to solve the mystery of the lone giant that keeps appearing in the middle of the night. She gets help, sort of, from the Woodman, a local spirit or creature who delivers unwanted firewood and barges in on Hilda and her mom without being invited. I love Woodman because where some shows might have a helpful fairy or a cutesy sprite or something, Hilda has sardonic Woodman, who honestly does not seem to give a fuck about her or her mom. <laughs> also, I love his house, too. Oh, you've let the woodman in again. I bet we wouldn't have neighbors like this in Trollberg. Exactly my point. Civilized neighbors don't walk into your house without asking first. But he's like part of our family. No, I'm not. Can I have this when you move? There are a lot of small things I want to mention that I enjoy about this show, like Hilda's pet deer fox, whose name is Twig. I want one so bad, you guys. I want a deer <laughs> fox. It's so cute. Or an instance of what I call single mom side eye in a different episode, which I really appreciated. Or Hilda's future friend, David, who always has a bug on him. It's a running joke throughout the series. Someone will be talking to little David and they'll stop and they say, you've got a ladybug on you. And it's cute. But in the interest of time, I will move on to the what the shit ending. Spoilers ahoy. <laughs> By the end of the episode, Hilda has united her two giant friends that have been alternately seeking and waiting for each other. But as the giants walk off to begin their life of blissful giant union, they accidentally destroy Hilda's house. This serves the purpose of moving Hilda and her mom to the city of Trollberg, where Hilda meets new friends and starts new adventures. But I was shocked by the sudden destruction of her home at first. This can be a useful lesson, I guess, for younger viewers who are anxious about relocating, Hey kid, moving is traumatic, but at least the giant didn't scoosh your house. <laughs> it's important that the giants 
that unintentionally curb stomp Hilda's home don't look back at what they have done. They are unaware of the damage that they have caused. It's kind of a fatalistic event for a kid's show to enforce the idea that sometimes bad things happen. Everything is impermanent. The last time I was here, the Midnight Giant says, there was no house. Not many children's shows encourage their audience to contemplate a time before they existed. Where is home? Where do I belong? Juvenile existential crisis time. (laughs) But I feel these questions are not offered up in a mean-spirited way. We know that Hilda and her mom will be okay because they are together. The show provides a safe environment for kids to experience some scariness and adventure along with brave and empathetic Hilda. I am glad that the youth of today gets to have a hero like her. Thank you so much for your consideration. Thank you. And uh, in case you were like me watching Hilda and you're like, what the hell is that voice? I put together this little guide for you. This could be your school. Go ahead. Explore the playground. Fine. But I'll keep a low profile. Lord Kerwin, your father was skinned alive by Ramsay Bolton. Still, you refuse the call. (laughs) Same actor. Wow. wow. Yeah. Nice <laughs> Lady, one. Lady Mormont. The Lady Mormont. Let's let's start with Jeff. He chose it from the user submissions. I had actually watched uh several episodes of this show right around the time I guess it dropped on on Netflix. I don't know when, but like my son had read the uh the the first graphic novel which in the American releases I believe called Hilda and the Troll. And it's, I mean, it looks exactly the same and covers some of the same mm-hmm. stuff. And it's really, it's really great. And so we started watching it and ended up watching, uh, watching a, a bunch of them. And then when I was rewatching it this morning, we just let it roll into episode after episode because this, this show is just, it's so, it's so, so delightful. Like the fact that the elves who are like very, very tiny are like all about bureaucracy and signing <laughs> permits and is just such like, just it just like a real insight into where the show is coming from with all of these magical mystical creatures. But like the best part about the show to me is the character of Hilda. Like you've seen characters similar to her who are like brave and like, and like I'm going to figure this out or whatever, but there's like something fresh and real about the way that um that she's sort of portrayed the the way that 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 she's done that doesn't seem like you know like like it's trying to teach you a lesson about how you just have to like buckle down and get things done or whatever <laughs> i don't know it's just it's such a it's such a terrific show it's it's hard for me to uh, to be honest to like sort of pull this episode aside and be like should this like i feel like I feel like everybody should watch this series. It's so like, it's so good. Like the, it's a yet another one. Like I feel like good as a father with, with three sons soon to be four. And, uh, and to like that, my oldest is like very into a lot of, a lot of kids stuff that has female protagonist instead of just a bunch of like, you know, he also likes like the Percy Jackson books and stuff, but like he's 
also read the graphic novel Zeta, uh, Zeta the Space Girl and also Amulet, which both of those I highly recommend. But like Hilda is 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 in there with like this really terrific central character and then a lot and then her mom is also like really really terrifically drawn like all the characters are so so interesting and i i do love the show and i and i like i said i just like i love just rolling into oh here's another episode here's another episode and here's another episode um and i'm having a little bit of trouble like though like this particular episode, I I feel like I would like someone else to chime in about some of the specifics of the episode because I I'm kind of like hung up on how I feel about it as a canon submission a little bit. I mean, I, I'm sort of having the same issue. I really enjoyed this episode. I thought that the um, mythology of the these guardian giants was perfectly done in terms of that like. Um, not abstracted, but like that sort of um, grand vagueness with which old myths are told. But then at the end, when they're reunited, and he's like, so wait, you waited 4,000 years for me? And she says, yep, which is a very unmythological <laughs> way to put it. And then he's like, wow, which is also, and then they like jump into the sky together. Yep. <laughs> and the way that she... Like she had sat down and then became this mountain. And then when she stands up and her like the snow cap is like her little tank top, it's just really like beautiful and clever and simple. Um, And then but there are also so many like there's like an action sequence or two. And then there's like cute little moments. I also need a twig uh, in my (laughs) life. And the knittens are adorable and that she and her mom were just very matter of fact about like putting them in the box and. Her mom's like, I think I got all of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Like these are these are problems that I would not mind having. But it's also interesting that like, Hilda, at least in this episode, is very focused on not wanting to move to Trollberg because she likes to be. She likes where she is. She doesn't want to be like hemmed in by a city and she, school bell. Yeah, she does have this like not pure group, but. When her mom's like, well, try out the playground. And she's like, she doesn't hate it. She's not miserable. She's not a misanthrope. But she's, that's like sort of unusual, I think, for a protagonist to be like, I'd rather just sort of be here, mostly on my own, like just you and, you know, just you and me, mom, and various animals and imaginary creatures uh, and their contracts. It's sort of unusual. (laughs) But this was really like, you know, there were no slow patches. I really enjoyed it. And I I did think that maybe there were some lessons to be learned, but we weren't being lectured. So, yeah, it was it was really neat and unexpected. But I I mean, I only watched the one I did want to watch more, which is one of my canon criteria. But I, I don't know if it's possible to pull one out that's better than others so i will turn it over to tara or dave um i'll go because i'll just jump off from what you were saying about uh her hilda being reserved when she goes to the school that 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 dynamic between her and her mother as a former only child of a single mother definitely ran true to me that there's a certain kind of um not precocity but like it when you spend time 
with one adult mostly you definitely have more of an affinity with uh, with adults than you do and you can you may be suspicious of other children and especially someone like hilda who it seems like has being homeschooled or unschooled or something like mm-hmm. she doesn't know what a school bell is she finds it all very weird um i i liked that detail and i thought that was true to the single mother only child experience but i i love this too i it looks beautiful the um kind of two primary colors uh, look of it reminds me of AP Bio, although there it's usually coral and coral and gold versus uh, you know blue and red as it was here. But uh, the the scandiness of the design, mm-hmm. Woodman's house, I agree, adorable. Um, Nittens, as soon as I saw that, it was like, well, that's that's for Buncey. Nice, yeah, good yes. <laughs> <laughs> you um, Twig is super cute. I mean, the design of all of the characters is great, but uh, but I th- I feel like possibly the reason that Liana might have thought this would resonate with us, or and the reason it did it resonate with me is the um, the character of the giant. I mean, anytime in a kids in a kids program or otherwise that a large creature is sad, <laughs> I, have, I find no that following. very affecting. I know he was he was very sweet, um, and you know he was so resigned and. The, just the design, the like that he hardly had a face. I mean, all of it was. I just loved it. He looks like a big hairy pickle with like no <laughs> eyes. I mean, he's he's, a, he's great. Um, and I and I thought the uh, in terms of the lessons that are you know sort of being relayed in a very subtle way. The whole thing of the you know the giant stepping on the house and destroying it, and then it's paralleled when. Um, Hilda's mother steps on an elf house and destroys it and doesn't know because she can't see it. I mean. You know, to teach children to have an awareness of, you know, the things in the world that you can't see but might still affect, I think is important and a good thing to learn and was handled in a very nice, subtle way. I, I thought it was great. I love the presentation. I love the episode. Dave, did you have more to add? I thought going to the animation style you were just talking about, I found it like a current reimagining of like Japanese animation, like from Studio mm-hmm. Gib- Gib- Ghibli. Is that how you say it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Deeply. That meets Scandinavian aesthetics, mm-hmm. very clean and proper lines and everything. I thought it was a, a really amazing clean look um, and the color palette they used. And when they do the character designs, when their hair goes over the eyes, you can still see where their eyes are, which is an interesting choice that worked really well for expression. Um, especially with uh, the mother and Hilda, I I really like this episode. I thought it was I thought it was both like cute and endearing. It doesn't have the obvious snap that um, like Steven Universe episode we talked about last month had. You know where there's mm-hmm. a core mission statement that's very front and center and everything points towards that. Where this is more of an exploration of her world and it sort of has this lazy river ride quality to it that i think (laughs) is reflected in the setting and you know the relationships between uh her and the elves and how everything is just sort of like children's slow tv kind of vibe to it Um, (laughs) i i I really responded well to that i think after you watch it the what the ship moment of the house being destroyed will have more impact but i think just to think about it now that they established this world in two episodes and then they move the whole show to the city on the <laughs> yeah. third uh, is kind of a, a big thing to do for a kid's show as, as she said in her presentation, just the impermanence of, of it all. The character designs are just amazing all through and through the, the, the yeah. twig, the cat deer creature, 
the woodman who looks like something from Super Mario Brothers two, you know, yeah. when his head ho- hovers over his body, looks right. like he's yeah. going to shoot. Cuberty. Uh, yeah, yeah, he is c- kind of cuberty. Um, yeah, there's a lot to like in this episode. I do get that, you know, without the knowledge of being able to watch a whole series to make that determination this episode over that episode. But I think this is going to be one of those shows that happens in the canon where it is a quality show that was planned in advance. Like these are not uh, procedural episodes. These are like there's a throughput to this. The giant from the second episode makes an appearance in the first episode sort of over the horizon. She's You know, she has that first uh, sighting of him. So when you have a show that has advanced planning that is set and they take their time with the story and they build things up and they go, you kind of like get this even keel phenomenon where it's a quality show throughout. And I think when that happens, what I just do is I will just say that this is the placeholder for sort of a canon season. And I've said it before and I'll say it again here. I think this is you know, going to be one of those episodes that'll stand in for a 13 episode episode. <laughs> you know, it's one story told. The The series is really, and, and I think we've watched like half of them and it, the whole series has kind of a lazy river kind of thing. But, and it's also, it's also like very interesting how like monsters are depicted because it's, it's almost like universally like the monsters are basically misunderstood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like in almost every case, like there are different ones that are, that sort of that sort of crop up, and it's and it's which is kind of an interesting take instead of like having like a big like evil baddie or something that, that <laughs> she has to like fight, and it's so like everything about the show is just really so fresh and and just fun to watch. Like the the look of it, it doesn't really look like any other any other show, you know, and and just sort of thinking about it in those terms, like you know, like. Like, it, I think I really want people to experience the show because I think it's really terrific and people should watch terrific things and support terrific things. Let us uh, vote then. All right. Let us do that. Uh, first of all, Jeff Drake. Oh, gosh. Now I'm on the spot. No, um, I will vote yes for this. All right. Uh, Sarah D. Bunting. Middle age. existential crisis time. Um, just kidding. <laughs> Not really. I vote yes also. Yes. And Tara Ariana. Me too. Yeah, I'm going to say yes to this. It was very sweet. And if we have to, you know, by law, say what is it about season two, uh, episode two, that makes it different. I think if nothing else, let's say that the the house smash setting reset is sort of a bold move for yeah. a show that uh, young kids are going to watch. And, you know, yeah, good has some good has some good lessons there. All right, Hilda, season one, episode two, The Midnight Giant. You are hereby inducted into the extra hot great camp. Juvenile existential crisis time. <laughs> Americans love a winner. You are. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It's time for winner and loser of the week. Sarah has our winner. Um, it's that sound drop, obviously. Um, additionally, <laughs> it is our girl, Gabrielle Carteris, who is seeking re-election as sag after president, and we wish her good luck. I have a SAG member in my household, and I will um, lean on him to support her candidacy. <laughs> and loser of the week? Relatedly, well, it's the production of the Beverly Hills 90210 reboot, which is being called BH90210. Um, a bunch of its writers have quit this week, including the showrunner. 
This thing is supposed to premiere on August 7th. Like, I kind of feel like it should be mostly written by now, but uh, apparently at issue is diva behavior from two of its uh, actresses. We can probably make an educated guess as to who those two are because two of them have a production company together, cough. Um, but yeah, uh, good luck to everyone. Um, I, I feel I, I, I'm going to throw it to you because your analogy yesterday about what this thing is going to probably be was so perfect. And I don't want to steal it from you, Sarah, me. Oh, yeah. wow. It was so perfect <laughs> that, um, it vanished. Sarah um, said so she it. felt like this was going to be like snakes on a plane where the idea of yes. it can never possibly live up to the reality of the production. That was the analogy. Yeah, I, I think that's so right. Mm. Snakes in a zip. Yeah. Speaking about things you want to quit almost as soon as they start, <laughs> do you know what time it is? <laughs> All right. This is the fifth game time of the season. Season scorers currently. Tara 3, value guess 1, Sarah 0. Now, I mentioned earlier in the show that this was sort of a a hard scheduled show. We almost ran out of time to do this. So I just want to give fair warning that this is an older game from years and years ago that's been reworked a bit. So if it seems vaguely familiar to you, that is why. Please forgive me. Just ran out of time to like put together something 100% original. So we got a little bit of recycling happening this week on Game Time. And the Game Time we are playing is Name That Sport. Name That Sport. The rules are very simple. I am going to give you a piece of information about a TV show. And all you need to do is tell me the sport that is involved. Okay. One point for each answer. No hints. All right. So Tara, can we please get the steel meal situation? Yes. Um, Sarah has four steel meals. I apparently have five steel meals, and it looks like the valued guests have seven steel meals. Oh, I can't yeah. remember what happened with steel meals last week, but that is what I have written down. It was the Khaleesi title. Ah, uh, of course. Yeah. From That's why. Emily, who knows her game. <laughs> Emily ran the table on Khaleesi titles. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so lots of steel meals in play. We have 27 questions for you today. Let's throw it to Picky to see who's going first. We will start with valued guest. All right, Jeff's uh, first, followed by Sarah, then Tara. Right. Are we ready to play Name That Sport? Roughly. Here we go. Jeff Drake, simply the white shadow. What's the sport in basketball? Basketball is correct. To Sarah. Sam Mayday Malone. Baseball. Former pitcher, he of cheers. Tara. Clear eyes, full hearts. Football. Correct. <laughs> All right. We now enter our Simpsons portion of the game. Going back <laughs> to Jeff. Ooh, you brought me a nacho hat. Thanks, Ned. Nacho, nacho man. I want to be a nacho man. I, I'm going to go with baseball again. Football. Football. Okay. To Sarah D. Bunting. For the last time, get rid of those sideburns. Look, Mr. Burns, I don't know what you think <laughs> sideburns are, but... Don't argue with me! Just get rid of them! I assume that's baseball? <laughs> you assume correctly. And for Tara. Yes. Would you like to play again? You have selected no. 
Lee Carvalho's putting challenge. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is golf. All right, everybody. It's the second Simpsons question coming at you. Okay. Jeff, stupid, sexy Flanders. Oh, wow. Um, Your hint boy. is stupid, sexy Flanders. What's that uh, I'm going to just say roller skating. <laughs> the answer is skiing. Feels like I'm wearing nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. <laughs> oh. Sexy Flanders. Yeah. Uh, to Sarah, Quickie Mart Gougers. The Quickie Mart Gougers. Uh, is that roller derby? It is on skates. It is hockey. Mm. All right. Here's our last Simpsons question for Tara. Capital City Goofball. Uh, baseball. That is the baseball mascot. Ah, uh, Man City, the mascot's best friend. <laughs> All right. We now exit our Simpsons portion of the game back to Jeff. The show, yes. The League. The League. Fantasy football. Correct. Yeah. Sarah D. Bunting. Blue Mountain State. Uh, Blue Mountain State? Uh, basketball? Football again. Tara. Caprica Buccaneers. Oh, no. What's this stupid game called? Some dumb made-up game. <laughs> well, oh, wait, wait, wait. I think I remember Triangle. Oh! So steel. 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 Oh. Is it Triangle Ball? Worth <laughs> <laughs> it. Right. Your problem is you're thinking on the 2D plane. You got to extrude that to the third dimension. Oh, Pyramid. Oh. Pyramid. Oh. Damn. Right. Just like Khan, you need to think along the Z axis. <laughs> That's one of many things I need to do like Khan. <laughs> uh, this is question 13 back to Mr. Drake. Yes. Oh my God. Um,. You know what that's from? <sighs> Vaguely familiar with yeah. it. Uh, I'm going to say soccer. Incorrect. That was from 30 Rock. That was tennis. The sport is tennis. That's uh, oh, America. Was it Monday Night Tennis or something like that? Tennis Night in America. Yeah. Okay. Sarah D. Bunting, what sport is this associated with? Football. Football. You betcha. <laughs> That's Monday Night Football. Ah, the footing ball. Yes. Uh, this is for Tara. <laughs> First of all, who wrote it? John Tesh. And the sport it is for? Basketball. You betcha. Nice. All right. That I believe... It's called Round Ball Rock. It is called Round Ball Rock. Two date points. Two date points, my friend. Okay, this is question 16. 
for Mr. Jeff Drake. The Geller Cup. The Geller Cup. Uh, trivia? <laughs> Not a sport. Mm. Nobody's stealing that one? All right. Tara, for no points. Touch football. Touch football from friends, correct. Uh, okay. Sarah D. Bunting, this is question 17 for you. Spread eagle. We are talking Jason's rehab buddy, Herc. Jason's rehab mm. buddy, Herc. That's um, wheelchair basketball? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to give that to you. Kind of, it's uh, quad, real t- wheelchair rugby. It's, it's yeah. yeah, I'm going to give that to you. That's Friday Night Lights. All right, this is question 18, taking us into our score break for Tara. The team that visited both Gilligan's Island and Futurama. <laughs> the Harlem Globetrotters of, of base- basketball. You betcha. All right, that is question 18. Let's hear the scores here. Very close game. I have five. Sarah has four. Jeff has two. All right, Jeff, we're going to put you into the... Equalizer. I'm sorry. I thought I muted. Don't be sorry. I get the Sarah point. Good luck, Jeff. Okay, I just want to, before we go into this... I do just want to Your say that a, a two is just um, is just a five upside down. Anyway, okay. <laughs> turn you off with classics. Mm-hmm. What does the Patty Duke show's theme song say makes Patty Lane lose control? Oh boy, does their cousins <laughs> identical cousins, and you'll find um uh. D- Boys. <laughs> Close. A hot dog. Oh, Part of a hot boy. Hot dog makes her lose control. Damn it. Uh, Sitcoms. <laughs> what newspaper does Alex read every last word of on Family Ties? Uh, the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Dramas. What daytime soap dealt with the dirty dealings of three Houston oil families? Daytime soap? Yeah, daytime soap. Jesus. Daytime? Yep. Okay. All right. Oh, Houston. Um, uh, this is a spinoff if it helps you any. Mm, right. It's uh, Houston Sexy Time. <laughs> no? It's simply called Texas. I thought you weren't supposed to talk about your ne- your show next year, Jeff. I know. The title. Sorry, I snuck it in there. All right, you got to get two of these last three. Kids and Games okay. is your next category. Got what it. storytelling segment of Rocky and Bullwinkle was narrated by Edward Everett Horton? Fractured Fairy Tales. Oh. I would have gotten it the other way around, too. So, <laughs> had you said who narrated Fractured Fairy Tales, I also would have. Amazing. Nobody likes a braggart. Hashtag <laughs> unhumble brag. Go on. Stars, your answer will be a celebrity. What Star Trek actor breeds show horses on his Kentucky farm? William Shatner? Shatner is correct. And well done, Jeff. Thank you. Two points right. to you. And now we're back to you for real questions. So here Yay. is question. And you have a audio clue. Here it is. What's the sport? 
answer anytime you want. Just listen and think about our lives. The day here. Do you know what sport this is connected to? Jeff Drake. idea is it is the chatter i'm hearing you guys or is it in the clip? that's no that was dave uh let's call it figure skating <laughs> do you want to hear that clip again no just kidding no oh, one wants to hear I that do. clip again yeah. <laughs> uh that uh, lovely little Diddy was the master's theme uh, that they play for golf. Golf, 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 golf. All right, Sarah Disagree. D. Bunting, what sport are we talking about here? Every person dancing. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the Timeless Torches. Every person dancing. <laughs> Cheerleading? Decent guess. That is from 30 Rock, and that was the basketball halftime featuring the Timeless Torches dance squad. Apparently a real dance squad. I looked it up for the WNBA team. Yep. It's All right, Tara Ariano, we need the sport mostly associated with this clip. Parasailing? <laughs> I'd accept that. Oh, I just got it. No, it's fine. That's my answer, but I, I realize what the real one is. What Does is anyone want to steal meal it? Sure. Mm. I'll steal meal. All right. Hi, Eli. Hey! Oh, Correct. <laughs> We're like, bye, Eli. <laughs> or Jeff, the Beacon Hills High School Cyclones. The Good Beacon luck. Hill. <laughs> Probably the toughest one today. Hmm. You watch the show, you might get it. If not, forget about it. But take a stab. It's I'll a say um, professional petank. <laughs> that was Teen Wolf's lacrosse team. Mm, uh, I was very close. It was lacrosse. Ball. All right. For Sarah D. Bunting, the gang gets invincible. It's your clue. The gang gets invincible. Correct. Uh, Darts. Decent decent steal. Oh, steal from Jeff. I'm going to say football. You are going to say football. Why do you say football? Because because it's correct. (laughs) (laughs) But why did you guess football? Isn't why did I guess football? Because it isn't that the episode of It's Always Sunny where um, they like uh, they tailgate and Charlie wears the, the green suit. Uh, that is part that? of it. The other part yes. of it is it apes the movie Invincible, which is all about that uh, fan who tries to get on the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, uh, maybe that yeah. was why you got it. Which was right. Oh, yes, you're right. That's yes. that reason that you just told me. That... The Eagles, you mean? You yes. Eagles. A- Guys, we're all tied up. <gasps> all right, Tara, you can pull ahead with this, your second to last answer. Mm-hmm. The second spitter theory. Um, this is baseball. This is baseball, and that was the 
Keith Hernandez loogie on Seinfeld. That's correct. Yeah. All right. So Tara is currently leading by one single point. Everybody's last question coming at you, starting with Mr. Jeff Drake. Identify the sport here. That was a good game. We all showed up, and I'm proud of that. Coach McGurk, I was just wondering, how come they canceled the game after 10 minutes? Well, because we were losing by 20 goals, Melissa. It's called the slaughter rule. You know, Melissa, if we played the full game, we probably would have lost by 100 goals. <laughs> um, First of all, do you know that yes. voice? Oh, that's H. John Benjamin. All right. Do you know the show? It's, uh, that's, uh, what is it? Home Movies? Mm-hmm. Right. All right. From 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 yep. your from your boss. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. All right. So we're gonna send this to him after. What's your answer? <laughs> goals. Uh, goals. I'm gonna go with field hockey. Oh. All right. The answer was soccer. Uh, Sarah D. Bunting, are you ready? Probably. Here we go. ever made her watch this one. I don't know. Sports ball? <laughs> <laughs> Incorrect. That The answer was partially in there. That was Blurns Ball as they jazzed oh, up the right. baseball a little bit from Futurama, including the guy at the end who comes onto the field on a giant spider, which is one of my favorite yeah. weird Futurama moments ever. <laughs> All right. Tara, get this to win the game. All right. What sport is this about? Lana! Lana, we got the face off! Hooray! Now, can we please get out of here? Because we are totally vulnerable. I know. Look at our defenders. He's not talking about the defenders. The crease, idiots! Guard the crease! Crease. Is this soccer again? It is not. Steel. Oh, steel! Oh. Oh, 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 that's how you use a steel wheel. All right, let's do it. That would be hockey. No, it's not. You suck. What? All right. <laughs> You're bad at steel wheels. Uh, okay, I that am. was from the Archer Pirate King uh, episodes. That was lacrosse. Lacrosse oh, somehow has two. Lacrosse has a crease, too? That seems unlikely. Lacrosse is basically hockey, but, but except the you know the balls out of a puck. So. I should have known. All right, so score breaks, please. Here at the end of regulation, Tara. Okay, Jeff and Sarah were tied with five points each. I had six. Very, oh, very, very close. Last round was so tight. Oh, Jeff, I thought you had it there. Um, <laughs> all right, so I have a tiebreaker. We're going to repurpose for a steel meal for future use. I'm going to play a clip. First person to identify the sport again. The sport. Will win the steel mill. Are you ready? Yep. Basically. Here we go. Wow, Greg's really doing great. Naturally. Here's my good luck charm. Surfing. Surfing 
from the Brady Bunch. And Tara uh. gets one additional steel mill to add on top of today's win. Congratulations, Tara. Well done, Tara. Tara. All right, guys, that is it for another episode of Extra Hawk Rate. We put on our best and favorite vestments for the second coming of Fleabag before going around the dial with stops at Vita, Shira, and Quiet Storm. Liana made the successful pitch for Hilda's second episode, The Midnight Giant. We crowned winners and losers of the week, and Tara was a winner of this week's slightly recycled Game Time. Remember... We're listening. I am David T. Cole, and on behalf of Tara Ariano. It is horrendous, but then it's magnificent. Sarah D. Bunting. I look like a pencil. And Jeff Drake. This needs to go like cockwork. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time right here on Extra. Ah, great. Uh. You are a... Weaky.